forgiveness. Again, using uh, <clears throat> purposeful biblical language to describe this very important topic of forgiveness, another one of our regular duties in marriage as communication is that lifeblood, I would say, that, that connects us in marriage. Forgiveness is always that healing balm that helps us through difficult times because we are sinned against, sometimes regularly, and we need and we know we need tender-hearted forgiveness. It comes from Ephesians 4.32, so just a few verses later, Paul writes, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We know that verse. It's a verse we've known for a long time. And yet think specifically about your spouse tonight. If you're married, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. So we're gonna start first before we dive into forgiveness, broadening it out a little bit and talking about our hearts because that's where Paul describes it. He connects this tender-heartedness, having a soft heart, which is easy to be, uh, it's easy to become hardened in our marriage over time or over events. <clears throat> so we need a brief review on how to keep our hearts soft and I'm gonna do it by the use of five characteristics that must be emanating out of your heart into your marriage. We get these from Colossians 3.12. The first one is the word mercy. We must have hearts of mercy. We know that word, use that word all the time, but define it well, mercy is compassion towards the miserable or the pitiful. Now, <clears throat> has your spouse ever been kind of pitiful? Have they been miserable? Yes, but it's very hard to be kind to the miserable or compassionate. It's easier to become hard again than soft towards them. We think they need to change first and then soften us up as they change. And mercy already is a problem with us, I think, mentally, um, <clears throat> because it sounds so weak in relationship. You know, we have, we have the mercy rule. You know, if you're up by 10 runs, we just stop the game, right? We, we, it's like, because you're weak, that's why we stop the, the you're a loser. Or we give mercy to the poor stray cat that's all shriveled up and, and starving. But mercy for our spouse, especially when they've done something against us, right? That's when they need mercy. Uh, when in their pitiful state, they brought you into some of the misery. But we're supposed to be abounding in mercy as we've received mercy. Uh, and so again, think of the possibilities uh, of showing mercy in these situations. Your spouse is short with you after they've had a long and difficult day. Your spouse forgets your anniversary or maybe makes a weak attempt at celebrating it. That's, I'm the second one, the weak attempt at celebrating it. She's not looking good. Um, <laughs> your spouse forgets to do something you ask them to do specifically, maybe repeatedly, or your spouse doesn't listen well, or your spouse does something foolish, leaves the doors all unlocked in the house, loses their cell phone repeatedly. Can we show mercy in those situations and all the other ones? Or again, is our temptation to be hard on them, is our temptation to bring the, uh, bring the justice to them, that they've gotta pay for those things. We know that now there is a time for justice in marriage and beyond, and yet, aren't you glad when you get mercy? Isn't that again, uh, 
building you up when you receive mercy from your spouse, when it's coming liberally to you. So mercy must come out of your heart first. Second thing that comes out of your heart that keeps it soft is kindness. It was in that verse, right? We're to be kind. Kindness is defined this way, I think best. The goodness of heart that is displayed in actions, right? When someone's kind, it's not because necessarily just the words they say to you, but it's the actions, right? That was the most kind thing you could do. The sad thing is I think sometimes we're often more kind to strangers than our spouses. Maybe we care more about what they think. Maybe we're trying to earn uh, their praise for us or, or you know, we're trying to please them. But we lack kindness for our spouse. The person, again, that needs the, our <clears throat> kindness the most, but we can be mute when they need kind words. We can forget to give kind actions. And again, that must flow from a, a tender heart because it only comes from a tender heart, not a hard heart. A, t- a hard heart won't be kind at all. Number three in this tender-hearted sort of matrix is the word humility. Here's a pop quiz, real quick. Just do it in your own head. Try not to think of, look at your spouse when you do this. Do you think of yourself as the lowly, lowliest and the worst in your marriage? Don't look at your spouse, I tell you. No, you don't. You think of your spouse as the worst in your marriage, you do. Oh no, some of you don't. You're like, I'm very humble. (laughs) We struggle with humility in marriage because in our gauges of marriage, we're doing pretty good. We're not quite sure if our spouse is doing as good as we're doing. We all think a little more highly than we need to of ourselves. And I'm not talking about some self-pitying attitude here. Oh, I'm just a worm. You're the greatest. You're an angel. I'm the devil. And I'm not talking about those sorts of false humilities. I'm talking about from your heart, in your heart of hearts, do you really know I'm the chief of sinners here? I am a terrible person that only uh, is here because of the grace of God, only is still married by the grace of God. We have to start from that heart of humility because it really goes a long way to the healing balm of forgiveness because you can't forgive from a heart of pride that says, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this. No, you do deserve this. You deserve a lot worse. Sorry, that is theologically correct, but it is real. And I've always said the other side of the coin is it's our self-righteousness that kills our marriage, right? When we think of ourselves as the highest. Humility is something we have to exude from our heart. And it's very hard when we all are pretty self-satisfied at times. All right, two more. Meekness is on this list from Colossians 3 that describes a tender heart. Meekness. I'm just gonna skip right over that one. All right, I don't even like the word. It's terrible. It's worse than humility. No, I'm gonna stay here. It's worse than humility. Meekness sounds wimpy to me. Anybody else like meek? Meek, meekness rhymes with weakness. See, y'all know it. It's like, it's spineless. There's something about being meek. Because listen to the definition of meekness. Submission in the face of provocation. Oh no, I don't like that sound of that at all. If I'm provoked, I'm blaming the provoker. Like you provoked me to anger and you're gonna get it because you provoked me. 
Meekness doesn't fit in this dog-eat-dog world, right? It just gets eaten. But in marriage, we're supposed to have this meek heart. Meek. Again, I have to keep saying it because I don't like the sound of it. We have to, it, meekness is demonstrated. I'm not listening to this side over here. <laughs> meekness. You can make your comments later about me. Uh, <clears throat> meekness is a quality of who? Jesus. All right, there's my trump card, right? <laughs> Be like Jesus, right? Jesus is described as meek in his quality of life. Now again, we, could, we don't want to take this too far. Meekness is not about uh, being abused and taking everything. No, we're not talking about that. But it certainly is a submissive response to provocation, a willingness to have our heart stay soft when it wants to harden up and get revenge. And then finally, in Colossians 3, the other word, the other term given to us, other character trait that it must exude from our heart is patience, which is gonna lead us right into forgiveness. Patience or the language in scripture always either uses patience or long suffering, right? And that makes the word patience sound worse. Long suffering. <laughs> don't want to suffer and I certainly don't wanna suffer long with another person who's supposed to love me and care about me and treat me better than anybody else treats me. And you're asking me to be patient, to be long-suffering. Again, in patience, um, you know, we, we, we like to think we're patient people. We tend to compare ourselves to less patient people and say, look, I'm more patient than them, or maybe I just do that. Or we try to find some biblical limit of patience. It's like, isn't there a place? And I get this question all the time. Okay, isn't this a place that I just stop being so patient? Went like, I don't know. I don't know if there's a biblical limit to patience in some way. Because impatience, again, can, can be, uh, come out in a marriage in many ways. We know this. It can come out in angry responses. It can come out in anxiety. But most impatience <clears throat> that really does the most damage is often presented with words like this. I'm just tired of it. Or you exhaust me. Right? That's when I've had it. Like you have just worn me out. Now don't get me wrong. I've heard those words quite a bit. And I have to look at my wife and go, you're right. I'm an exhausting kind of person. I get it. But you never want to hear it. <laughs> you don't want to hear it because they've run out of They've stopped suffering long. They're like, I can't do this much longer. And that's hard. And in this talk tonight, we're ta talking about saying that forgiveness or having this sort of heart that, that undergirds forgiveness uh, is somehow keeping your, or, or letting your spouse off the hook and they, they can just treat you any way they want to. Not at all. But this is a very personal talk tonight to say, to keep our hearts straight in the midst of hard times. And we always have to forgive. All right, in this next section then, there's your five pieces uh, of the soft heart, the tender heart, and now we need to practice. So here we go, I've got uh, three things. Let me make sure, yeah, no, four things. No, five things, all right, let's, let's just start with one. Lost count here. Number one, this is the practice of tender heart forgiveness. This should start, sound, of course, very theologically correct, hopefully, but it's gonna be very practical as applied to marriage. So here we go. Number one, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Just, just stay right there, right? 
That's what we lose sight of when we're refusing to forgive, unwilling to forgive our spouse, or we think we can't forgive something. Somewhere along the line, we have forgotten how much the Lord has forgiven us because that's the driver, right? That's why non-believers can't really forgive. They can do some imitation of forgiveness. They can forget things. They can be nice, kind, they can do all that. But they've not been forgiven. They've not experienced forgiveness of sin, so how can they offer it? But we don't have that excuse. That must be our driving force. If you don't have it, your forgiveness is incomplete, insufficient, weak. Right? Fuels our forgiveness is not just, again, a desire to make peace or human kindness or even the fear of confrontation. I'll just forgive. No, it's fueled by the enjoyment of God's forgiveness. Every time you're at that place where you know you have been sinned against and I need to forgive, your mind better go there first and say, wow, I have been forgiven so much. The Lord has forgiven me amazing things. My that that should, should well over your mind at that point in your heart. But that's hard because we're kind of laser focused on what the other person has done to us, right? We have to step back and say, I need to drink in God's forgiveness to me. I have to be thankful for God's forgiveness and then I can be ready to forgive. But only then. Now again, you might say there's plenty of times, you know, the person sinned, they've asked for forgiveness and boom. I've forgiven them. But oftentimes, those are the smaller things, the less repeated things, the less hurtful things, right? We're talking about the harder things in marriage. Better be fueled by remembering God's forgiveness for you. If not, unforgiveness is just going to kind of rule in the marriage. It's just gonna kind of permeate. If I, we don't have two people that are enjoying their forgiveness all the time. Number two, have a tender heart ready to forgive. This ties us back to the heart. Have a tender heart ready to forgive. <clears throat> oh man, dessert is now coming around. Coming around, just in case you need your fourth dessert tonight. Here it is. We're not watching. Have a tender heart ready to forgive. In order to forgive your spouse, your heart has to be in this constant state of readiness. And it's your job, it's all of our jobs individually to have ready hearts constantly prepared hearts. <clears throat> and it's hard to do that. Um, <clears throat> but it means, again, having a ready heart to forgive means always confronting your own bitterness and cleansing that and dealing with that anger. It requires for you to take captive the, the thoughts that are in your head of what you want to do to your spouse or, or again, focused on what they did. It, it means letting go of revenge on a day-to-day -day basis, right? All these things, <clears throat> And this, of course, um, means that your spouse needs to be ready to ask forgiveness, and we'll get to that in a minute. And when they do ask for forgiveness in a timely manner, it's a lot easier to forgive. It stops all that bitterness from building up. But we have to stop and ask the question here, what happens when your spouse refuses to ask forgiveness? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but do you have a spouse that does this? Yes, we all do. Or... They might not just refuse to ask forgiveness. They, they don't think they've done anything wrong. They don't recognize their sin. What this requires, I think, <clears throat> is not just operating out of I gotta forgive them anyway kind of mentality. There's issues with that. 
But scripture talks about, especially in, in the Proverbs, about the wisdom there is, the grace there is in overlooking it. And Proverbs says there is great wisdom in being able to overlook the sin of another. Now let's be clear what that is. It's not ignoring it, it's not pretending it didn't happen or it didn't hurt, but it means to overlook it, which I think it has some sense of covering it with the grace of the Lord by extending grace. Because you have to extend grace to a spouse who's not willing to apologize. That's a grace move. If we're just like, well, I'm not going to do anything until they apologize, that puts your heart at a bad place. You understand that? Your heart, your soul is at a bad place if you're just in a passive waiting game for them to figure it out and to apologize and to ask forgiveness. No, you cover it with grace. You overlook it. You move past it. So whether or not, again, your spouse actually asks for forgiveness or if they don't ask forgiveness, your heart's always got to be the same. It's always got to be ready to either forgive or overlook. I got to forgive or overlook. Now, there's a third component in there, which is I might just need to confront, right? But we'll, that's in another conversation. Um, but as far as your heart personally, um, <clears throat> your task is to have that ready heart. That's for you, right? That's for you. That's for your sanctification and, and for you to keep from having a bitter heart. Well, I, I need to move on to number three, which we'd be remiss <clears throat> if we didn't clearly, at every time I have talks with folks about forgiveness, Sometimes we just assume we understand what forgiveness is and say, I know what that is. We often miss a piece of it or a part of it. And so I want to remind you about what forgiveness is. So this could feel like forgiveness 101, and I know that, but let me do it anyway, all right? Here it is. Um, I call this fourfold forgiveness. There are four pieces, four parts of forgiveness. All right? We could say it this way, it takes a fourfold active commitment. Four things, four commitments you're making when you forgive. Number one, you're making the commitment, this is the easiest one to think of, a commitment to never bring this up again to your spouse. Never. Everybody okay with that? Oh, no, we're not. No, we're not. What happens when they do it again and I have to connect them back to you did the same thing a month ago, you know that, you did the same thing Again, back in 1972, don't you remember that day in 1972? You did that same thing. Uh, We don't like this one. But it does define forgiveness for us very clear from the get-go. We're not to bring this up again. To forgive completely, we never bring the matter up again. Yes, if it resurfaces, we deal with that sin. That sin. And it may look exactly like what they did to you last week. But we're not bringing that one up. We're bringing this one up. We're talking about this one, and we're forgiving this one. Because at the heart of forgiveness, we forget means canceling the debt. Just think if, if the bank said, you don't owe that 50000 anymore, but every week brings it up to you in a letter. Like, hey, don't you remember you did this? <laughs> you owed us $50,000 last month? Yes, I remember. Hey, don't you remember you owed me that $50,000, but I forgave you? Yes. Do we want that reminder? No. Nor do we want it from our spouse. Uh, <clears throat> we can't ever come back and say, by, by reminding your spouse of what they did, you're saying, I want that payment now for that one. The one I said I forgave you about, I want the payment now. And I want you to pay by apologizing again, because that's why they bring it up, right? I don't see many people shaking their head. Okay, just looking. Number two, second commitment, a commitment to never bring it up to other people after you've forgiven them. 
Now that's equally important, right? <clears throat> now I don't mean that we can't talk to someone and get counsel about how to deal with a situation. Um, <clears throat> but after the act of I forgive you, there's just no sharing it with other people. There's no, you won't believe what my spouse did to me. Like, yeah, sometimes it's a funny story, but if it's, again, a hurtful thing, you've forgiven them, we make a commitment if the debt is canceled to not broadcast it, to not share it with other people. Again, I'm not talking about how we have to talk things over in counseling. I hear a lot of things that have been forgiven in counseling because we're working through them. I'm talking about talking to people in general. Number three, probably the hardest of them all. You have a commitment. No, number four is hardest, sorry. Here's number three, it's harder. A commitment, you must make a commitment to not bring it up to yourself again. You know, the age old saying, forgive and forget is kind of in view here, but that's really a false statement. Like forgive and forget, I'm not, there's certain things you're never gonna forget that your spouse has said, spouse has done, especially if they do something similar or there was a certain song on when he did it and the song comes up, I don't know, right? You're gonna remember. It can't be forgotten necessarily, but we know what that means. It's better said like this. I'm not gonna bring it up to myself again. I'm not gonna dwell on it. I'm not gonna think about it. If it pops up in the front of my mind, I'm putting it in the back of my mind. I'm gonna say that's already been forgiven. I'm not gonna let Satan torment me by wanting me to think about it again and dwell on it and get me inspired against my spouse. And of course we know this theologically, we know God can't forget our sins because he knows all things, but he certainly chooses to not remember them anymore. That's what we're doing. I'm choosing not to remember what my spouse has done to me. I'm choosing to think on something else, something better, something good and pure and righteous. We must not dwell on that sin. Don't, so a commitment not to bring it up to a spouse, that's for the first part. Not to anybody else, not to ourselves. I know you're thinking, what else can you do? That's everybody. But this is the one we can miss. A commitment to love again. It's not true forgiveness if you don't have a commitment to love your spouse again. This is overlooked, I think. Because how often have you done this? I know it's easy to do this in marriage. When we say the words, I forgive you, but in our posture we're saying, but you still kind of have to earn a little bit to get me to warm up to you again. Anybody? I, I should get hands raised here because I think everybody would raise their hands. We can, get, we can do that. We can feel that. There's many times in marriage where we can say to somebody else, I, I know they've forgiven me, but it really doesn't feel like it. That's because this step is missed. Because, again, common human <clears throat> uh, knowledge or common human wisdom doesn't understand again that for, it still feels like the other party must do something, <laughs> have, have to do something. Does this sound familiar spiritually, theologically? Like God can't just forgive my sins. I must have to do something <laughs> to earn his love for me. And what do we say every time? There's nothing. It's gotta be the same with our spouse. It can't be I forgive you, but I forgive you but I really can't be close to you for a little while. I forgive you, but I don't really trust you anymore. You see what we do that? And we do this in relationships, and there's plenty of relationships where I think you can forgive someone and say, but the relationship's gotta change. But in our marriage, 
We're saying, ultimately, I forgive you, and the way I'm gonna demonstrate that I've forgiven you is by loving you, even though it's hard right now, even though my natural inclination is kind of to back up a little bit, because I'm hurt. Now, I know some of you are thinking, but how do you do that? The person hurts you deeply. How do you just make yourself that vulnerable exactly? Sometimes it's, it's impossible, and you need the Lord. This is where Jesus comes in again, you need Jesus. Because again, somewhere in your mind, especially if you're one of those strong sense of justice people, anybody out there, strong sense of justice? Okay, good, I'm glad a few people are here. <laughs> this is gonna feel unjust, like it's not fair. We know what our heart's gonna say. They're getting away with it. They're like getting away with murder almost. Like, yep, if that's the way you wanna look at it, you misunderstand grace and you misunderstand the power of forgiveness. If you have forgiven them, <clears throat> You have a commitment to love them again, not to say you still have some things you need to do before I'm ready to get close to you because what you're saying is I'm not really forgiving you yet. And if that's what you're saying, that's fine. If you're, if you're looking someone in the eyes and say, you know what, I'm really having a hard time. I know I'm supposed to forgive you now. I'm really struggling. I'm gonna go to the Lord and I'm gonna forgive you. That's fine, that's honest. But don't say I've forgiven you but say, but I don't wanna be around you. It doesn't, you understand that? It doesn't make any sense. To forgive you says, I'm not only forgiving you, but I'm purposing and committing to draw close to you again in our oneness, as hard as that is. I'm gonna deal with my own hurt on that. I'm not saying to you that you've gotta keep working to win me back. Then it's not forgiveness, then there's still a debt. There's still a debt you're working off. And we, we, we use this language all the time. Someone might say, I'm still in the doghouse, you know. I still have to do that. I still have to be really nice the next few weeks and maybe she'll warm up or he'll warm up, whatever. That's a works righteousness-based, unforgiving sort of scenario. It's natural, but it's part of our sinful nature. It's not what God calls us to do. To do the thing <clears throat> that only happens, remember principle number one, Forgive as God has forgiven you in Christ. That forgiveness is radically different than the way human beings attempt to forgive with still kind of agenda, a list, and some to-dos on there before they really give you it all. Have I made my point yet? Because I can go on, but I'm running out of time. All right, number four. <clears throat> this should make sense. Forgiveness is painful and costly. If you don't think it's painful and costly, if you don't think it's challenging, again, you don't get forgiveness. Or you might be just in a beautiful marriage where your spouse hasn't really hurt you that bad ever. Now that, praise the Lord for that, that would be wonderful. But if you don't know this, <clears throat> you might not be recognizing that you're right now, even now, probably holding some unforgiveness against your spouse. You're holding some kind of grudge. You're quietly bitter on some level with some things. <clears throat> because true forgiveness hurts. It's sacrificial love at its height. It's true. You have, because you have to deal with your own sin in this process. It's not just easy. It don't make, ever make forgiveness in, in just this mechanical obedience. Well, God says I gotta forgive, so I guess I forgive you. That's not forgiveness. It's a painful thing. It's a humbling thing. It's a submissive thing. Again, it's all these things. It doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. It seems like I'm, I'm getting hurt twice. I get hurt first and then I gotta come around and forgive you for hurting me. Hey, here's a solution, why don't you just stop hurting me? <laughs> okay, that's a good idea. 
And that'd be a great idea if none of us ever had to forgive this other spouse because they never do anything against us wrong. Wonderful. But you think maybe there's a reason we're married to a sinner? Maybe it sanctifies us. Maybe it grows us in an area that we're not very good at. All right, so this is the fifth area to finish with. Hey, we're doing good. We might even rescue our uh, children's choirs people a few minutes earlier. They've been there a long time with all those kids. <clears throat> but the weather might be still okay because I hear them outside. So let's just briefly, <clears throat> with number five, talk about some unique forgiveness issues that may or may not impact you in your marriage or maybe not right now, but at other times you might have to hold on to this. And we are recording it so you can make your spouse listen to it again later. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'm just making sure we're awake. All right. So, um, oh, I got, I got four. I got A, B, C, and C. I don't know what happened there. All right. Um, a, first one. Here's your unique forgiveness issues. Forgiving repeated sins. The first one on the list, right? Your spouse has a unique ability of committing the same exact sin over and over again. Like, isn't that amazing? Well, it should make sense to us. I mean, this is the closest person in your life. You're with them 24-7 all, all the days of a long life. And so where other people may only get a taste of them <laughs> as a sinner, you get the same sin over and over and over again. It's such a blessing to, to get that same sin again and again. Uh, <clears throat> now, aren't you glad on this first issue that Jesus already gave us this answer? Anybody? I'm glad he gave this answer. I'm glad Peter was dumb enough <laughs> to go up and say, Jesus, now how many times am I supposed to forgive? And very proud of himself saying, you know, seven? Seven's good? We know the story, right? How many times was that? <laughs> Somebody said 490 right away. 70 times seven. I know you said, well, I'm on time 491 <laughs> right now, and I've had my limit. No. We know he was describing an infinite amount of times, right? There's no limit. I know, don't get this confused, please, with limits that come in terrible situations of marriage where we have to confront certain um, deeply terrible sins. And we're not talking about an unlimited tolerance of bad behavior. Don't hear that. But we are agreeing with Jesus that there's no limit to our spouse, which tells us a couple of things. One, there's no count to be kept. There's no tally. It doesn't matter. I know it matters to you when you're on the other side of it, but you shouldn't be keeping a tally of how many because not, you're not gonna get to the end point. You're not gonna say, yes, I hit the number that the forgiveness is over, right? It just doesn't exist. There's no limit. We have to deal, continue to keep our hearts right, deal with our bitterness, be prepared to forgive over and over and over again. But again, I will say we, it's crucial here to separate forgiveness from problem solving. There are things we have to look at our spouse and say, we need to solve this. This repeated thing is really hurting our marriage. So don't, don't uh, think that's one or the other. <clears throat> it's both. But separate the two. Um, because again, forgiveness is not just this passive thing that I continue to just have to let the other person do that and I just have to continue forgiving them for that same thing they do and I gotta do that. 
No, it's, it's not to be confused with allowing a situation just to repeatedly happen. We must have biblical confrontation. We must have good communication that talks through why this dynamic has happened. Um, counseling could be required, whatever. So don't ever get it in your head, ever, that forgiveness is somehow enabling a sin pattern to go on. Sometimes we can feel like this, man, I just keep forgiving and I'm just an enabler. I just keep letting my spouse do whatever they want. If your spouse is taking advantage of their forgiveness, that's their problem and it, it, it w- does reveal deeper marital problems that need to be dealt with. But forgiveness, again, is a life-giving thing. It's an intimate thing. It's a, it's a grace-growing thing in your marriage. It's not, I'm just letting them be, be bad. Don't confuse those two because it will stop you from forgiving. You'll say, that's it. I'm drawing the line right here. Now, again, don't confuse this either, again, with certain situations that the Bible prescribes that we stand against. I'm talking the day-to-day sins of life. We will have to problem solve them, but forgiving repeated sins is just something we have to do, and it gives grace. Okay, number two, forgiving a spouse who never apologizes. We already kind of commented on this, but we'll say it again. Um, What I like to say here is when your spouse doesn't initiate with an apology, with a confession, uh, to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, I was wrong, then what will not be able to to happen is, I like to put it this way, it makes it simpler for me, is the transaction of forgiveness can't happen. Because if you don't say, I was wrong, please forgive me, I can't say, I forgive you. (laughs) Because if I just say, I forgive you, and the other person says, I didn't do anything wrong, why are you forgiving me? (laughs) I did everything right. We got a problem here, right? So when someone doesn't apologize, the best you have is overlooking their sin, as we mentioned earlier. That's the best you have, and secondarily, keeping your heart ready to forgive when they actually do come to that conclusion either by your confrontation or they just, by the Holy Spirit, go, you know, what I did to you last week, I realized that was so wrong of me to say that. Thank you, I've been waiting. (laughs) And then we can complete the transaction of forgiveness by saying, I forgive you. But when they don't apologize, we can't can't have that true forgiveness. And I would say, unfortunately, we we lack some good reconciliation. It kinda is hanging out there, which, which again shows that the other side of being open to overlook a sin and be ready to forgive. On our other side, we better be quick to ask for forgiveness. It's our job to keep those sins uh, that we've committed to our spouse, ask for the spirit to, to make sure we recognize them, that we know them and that we've cleared the plate and we haven't just refused to apologize. Third one on the list, uh, what I call unique situations, forgiving the big sins. And again, I'm not trying to refer to uh, abuse, adultery, those kind of big marriage breaker sins. But there, there are those sins that are bigger than the day-to-day saying something wrong or forgetting something or you know, hurting someone's feelings or whatever. Uh, there's a whole long list we don't have time to go into. But again, <clears throat> I would just say on this point that even those, while they might be harder to forgive, they might take more problem solving to deal with, this always helps to remind us that our sins against God, both before salvation and sadly after salvation, are huge. 
They're not small. If you think, you just sin in small ways, and so that's why the Lord finds it easy to forgive a person like you. You are mistaken. <clears throat> when you recognize how big your sins are, then a person's sin, even though it's big, is not that big. You understand? That's the whole parable of the unforgiving servant in my paraphrase, right? If that unforgiving servant didn't pay attention clearly to how much he was forgiven, he wouldn't have, you know, millions of dollars versus the 50 cents or $2 or $10 or whatever you want to use in that illustration of his friend who had that debt against him. He wouldn't have tried to strangle him and put him in prison because sadly that unforgiving uh, servant thought that debt was huge when it was minuscule. What he missed was his debt was huge. And when you remember your debt was huge, that it's hell sort of debt, right? Isn't our debt all hell sort of debt? Then the things your spouse does to you is small in comparison. Hear that in context. I am not saying they don't feel big, they don't seem big, and in extreme cases they are huge to destroying a marriage. But in your perspective, they've gotta be redefined. Even that is not that big when I think about what I've done to my savior. Uh, And then we can forgive those big sins because the real problem comes when we see their sins as huge and our sins are small. All right, last thing, and boy, I thought I was running, I got one minute. What happens when I'm not forgiven? That's the flip side real quick. When I'm not forgiven, that's hard too. Right? What happens if I've asked for forgiveness? I've begged for forgiveness. I've apologized a lot of times and they're unwilling to forgive. <clears throat> well, you have three responsibilities. First, you seek God's forgiveness because that's your first point of forgiveness anyway. Right? When you have sinned, yes, you confess to your spouse, seek their forgiveness, but seek the Lord's forgiveness first. Second, you keep asking for your spouse's forgiveness, I would say, in a loving way, not in a naggy way, but... I really need you to forgive me on this. It's very important. We have two door prizes. <laughs> we have door prizes. Chicken Alfredo. And how am I to give those away, Jane? Oh, you, you figured it out. Okay. <laughs> I figured it out. Wow. <clears throat> okay. Whoever's the hungriest, no, we'll get there in a minute. All right. Um, then third, at some point, you may have to confront your spouse for not forgiving you because in that sense, then they're sinning against you and it's no longer you're asking their forgiveness, now you're gonna need to be, have them confess uh, what is a sin as well. Unforgiveness, let's not miss that out of this whole talk. Holding unforgiveness is sin. Amen to that? It's not something, I just can't help it or that's just how it is or I, I can't forgive. At, at the end of the day, it's still sinful and we have to confess that. Uh, thanks for being here again tonight, and it will be uh, put up on the website for us to link to. I'll send an email to the church so we know how to get that share with others or uh, use, hopefully, for the good of your marriage and those marriages around you uh, that need to be encouraged. So let's close in prayer. Lord God, <clears throat> at the end of a time like this, again, we're humbled to know that we will only show grace in our communication, we'll only be tender hearted. Uh, forgiving people in our marriage, uh, in our marriages, if we have you working in our hearts. Uh, We thank you for the forgiveness found only in Jesus. We thank you for the grace that you extend through 
uh, speaking all things into existence uh, from the beginning to uh, giving us the words of life in Christ Jesus, Lord. We pray that we can continue to be growing and giving grace to our spouse, to forgiving our spouse, to communicating with our spouse. Encourage us with your word as we go. In Jesus' name, amen.